the, the idea of Advent, like we've talked about, is all about anticipation, all about expectation, anticipation and expectation of God to do greater things. And so, you know, uh, before Christ, there was this anticipation that a Savior would come. And then after Christ, we have an anticipation that He will not only come again, but that He is doing, actively doing things in our lives and before us from day to day to day. You know, and, and, and for us, we have so much to celebrate and think about when we navigate this time of Advent. You know, and I love kind of to reference again, I think I've quoted him every, every sermon I've done in this series, but uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this about Advent specifically. He said, a prison cell in which one waits, hopes, and is completely dependent on the fact that the door of freedom has to be opened from the outside is not a bad picture of Advent. And so Advent is about this idea that hope lies outside of us, but that hope is something that we depend on for our good. That just like in this illustration, that the prison door is shut and that our hope is dependent on something outside to open that door for us, which is what Jesus came to be. Jesus came to be the key to open the prison cell to allow us room to walk, to allow us an opening, uh, to be freed from, from the bondage of fear, to, be, to have an exit, uh, to have a beginning of our Christian life, to be able to, to step out and to be able to walk into this place that God has called us to and to be able to be willing. You know, I, I, I subtitled this this morning, you know, we've kind of used ours and so, you know, the alliteration kind of fits with how we like to do. But, you know, the first week we talked about the reason, last week we talked about the reveal and then this week kind of the subtitle would be the response or kind of the word that's been just in my mind since I started preparing for this is willingness. You know, willingness. You know, what is the Advent season and our ability to have and kind of step into willingness? What, what does that look like? And I believe that Mary's story is such a story of this response. It's such a story of willingness in the face of so many different things. The, the thing that just kind of radiates to me is willingness. And so what I believe and what I want us to see this morning is this idea that Advent is a call to respond. That Advent isn't just something that Jesus has done or is doing, but Advent is an attitude. That Advent is a call to respond. It's a willingness to walk in God's faithful, willing work for us. And so in that willingness, I think there's willingness on both ends. So there's willingness for us. There's willingness for us, but then there's also willingness that God had on our behalf. And so uh, three things this morning that I want us to see the first two speaking of the willingness of God, but how that translates into our willingness to walk. And so the first thing is this this morning, that God's willingness gives favor for us to be faithful to him. God's willingness gives favor for us to be faithful to him. And so what am I talking about this morning? Well, for us to really kind of grasp it, we need to jump back a few verses. So let's jump back to verse 29. And let's read this together. It says, but she was greatly troubled as the angel comes and is telling her, this is what you're going to do. You're going to bear a son. He's going to, his, his name will be Jesus. You know, all these things. She, he says, she, her response is that she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. In verse 30, it says, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found 
favor with God. This is the second time in this conversation that the angel Gabriel says, Mary, you are favored. And so this is a conversation for us to have today. What does that mean when we talk about the favor with God or the favor of God? You know, different parts of Christianity would view this in different ways, but the way that we would approach this and the way that we would see this is this idea, because I think especially in our modern day, when we talk about favor, uh, we're very apprehensive to kind of navigate what that space means, especially in kind of the prosperity gospel, word of faith type of, you know, live your best life now kind of attitudes that we would, when we talk about favor, we kind of look at it as this idea of like, well, this is just me being able to be confident in who I am and to live the life that I want to live. But God's faithfulness, I mean, God's favor for us is meant to entice faithfulness from us to him. And so what we need to see about this moment, whenever God said, Gabriel says to Mary that you have found favor with God twice, there is something significant here and something for us to take away from this as Christians. That if you are a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, you have favor. But the same way Mary had favor is the same way we have favor. And this is what we need to understand about this. She is favored because of her choosing. She wasn't chosen because of her favor. This is what we need to know because we, this is, this is a, a big responsibility if we kind of, and it's a completely different view of Mary and of ourselves if we navigate it this way. Because if she's chosen, if her choosing makes her favored, it's much different than if we say that she's favored because she's chosen because of her favor. You know, and the same thing for us. And it navigates that relationship with God a lot differently. And that's why for us, when we look at this and we think of the willingness of God to give favor to people, what I believe, what we see here is this is a proclamation of favor is not a recognition of her talents or her abilities. But this is God choosing her. You know, we know that, that the Bible tells us that, that whenever we have become a child of God and we have put our faith in Jesus, it recognizes that we have been chosen. And because of that choosing, we have favor. And so because of that favor, it's meant to lead us. It's meant to motivate us to be faithful to him. And so that's why Gabriel is telling Mary this in this moment. She says, you are favored. The same reason why in the Old Testament when the angel comes to Gideon and says, oh, mighty man of valor, as he's squatting down in a corner hiding from the enemy, it's because God is wanting to entice something from us, not showing that our work has caused us to be favored, but because we've been chosen to participate in the work of God that we find favor. And it's through that favor that we find the strength, we find the courage to be faithful to God. And so he's calling us into that. And I love how even like the prophet Isaiah would say this in Isaiah 41, verse 10 and verse 14. He says, fear not. He says, for I am with you. He says, be not dismayed, for I am your God. And then God goes on to say this. He says, I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Fear not, you worm, Jacob. I love how it throws that in. I don't think it's meant to be like, be ugly towards these people. But it's just trying to kind of show us who we are in comparison to the holy God. He says, I will do all these things. And then he says, for you, fear not, you worm of Jacob, you men of Israel. He says, I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord, your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. God is holy. God is the one. God is the one first and foremost that is willing. God is the one leaning into the life of Mary, being willing to use a broken, sinful woman. 
to do work for God. The same as he leans into the life of every believer here today and, and, and gives favor for the work that he has for us. You know, the favor is not isolated from a command that requires action. Because remember, this favor comes with a command. This favor comes with a work to be done. This favor comes with an expectation. This, just, this isn't just the angel leaning in to say, hey, have a great day. You're favored by God. Go and live and be merry and happy. No, this says you have found favor, but I have an amazing, enormous task for you. That is going to cost you something. That is going to affect your life from now until eternity. I have a task for you. There is no favor from God that doesn't come with a command of action. And so for us as Christians, we have to understand that. We have to realize that the favor of God comes with requirements of action, that comes with expectation of action. But the beautiful thing is when the God of the universe invites you to participate in his plan, he equips you with the means of accomplishing it. Just like he says here, he says, look, the Savior is going to be born and, that the, and we, will, we are doing that work in you, Mary. We are placing that baby there. We, God is doing the heavy lifting in this moment. You know, in John uh, 15, 15 through 16, you know, I, I always loved Jesus' communication with the people here. When he says, you know, in regards to like commands and what God is calling us to, he says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing. He says, but I have called you friends. You know, and so when we think about this favor and this calling and this kind of motivation to be faithful to him, that we understand it from that. You know, a lot of times Christianity is presented as this list of do's and don'ts. And it's like God is this kind of uh, authority above us, kind of this CEO or this uh, floor manager looking over us, telling us this is what you need to do, this, 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 and this. But the reality about it, like God is a master and we are a slave. But the reality about it, God said, Jesus says here to the people as he's giving commands, he says, listen, you're no longer servants because you know what the master is doing. You're a part of the plan. You're a part of the good work. And not only that, but you've received favor and you're considered sons and daughters of God. And because of that, he says, you are friends for all that I have heard from my father. I've made known to you. And he says here, Jesus says to them here in, in verse 15, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. He says, I have chosen you. He says, I have chosen you to go and do what? To go and bear fruit in my father's name that he may give it to you know all these that we may ask and that in my father's name he may give it to you You know God's willingness gives favor but that favors for us to be faithful to him and then the second thing is this you know as we kind of consider the work that he's called us to do and the work that he has for us the second thing is this is that God's willingness is greater than our circumstances God's willingness is greater than our circumstances. So when God has called us to something for us, you know, if you're a parent here today or a grandparent or just a Christian in your workspace or in this local church, you know, if we're hearing that call to be faithful to God, the command to take steps of faithfulness in our relationship with Jesus, I think our, our response is very much like Mary's at times and maybe even sometimes more like Zechariah's, which was a little more doubting. 
Mary's is a little more confident, but Zacharias is a little more doubting. But I think we always have a, a response that questions, you know, that questions, you know, how, how can this be done? You know, and maybe it's even, why would you choose me to do this? You know, like I think we, and I've, you know, in all the time that I've done church ministry, you know, there more times than not, especially in the lives of families, families are very hands off with discipling their kids and they want the church to do that. You know, like they want, especially in kids ministry, they want the church. Well, that's what church is for. You know, uh, you, a part of these ministries where parents would come and they would drop their kids off and then they leave and like, well, that's good for my kids. That's good for what they're doing. You know, we've talked about this before. But the reality is, and that's what, you know, in conversations, you know, even with parents, my, listen, you are their disciple maker. You spend their lives with them. I will be gone one day. They'll move off one day. They need to have a base, a foundation that is built not just on what the local church does for them, but you are the main discipler in their life. And so every parent in this room today, we all have the responsibility of being disciple makers. That is not the church's, local church's responsibility. It is part of that, it is a part of equipping that, but it is not the local church's responsibility. And, but I know that a lot of us, because I ask these questions of myself sometimes, that we think to ourselves and we pray to God, God, how can you use me to do this with my kids? Like, I'm not good enough for this. I don't know enough for this. I don't know the right things to say. I don't know the right things to do. How could you use me for this? You know, and similarly, with Mary's response, you know, God's willingness is greater than our circumstances. Mary would say, well, how will this be done? How will this be done since I'm a virgin? How will this be done that the situation, the circumstance does not facilitate this action that seems like it requires to have this be done, correct? I mean, we're not going to get into the whole like ins and outs of it, but you know what I mean. Like, how, how can this work? Like, how can this happen? And so then we think to ourselves as parents, our response or as people, when we think about evangelizing or ministering to the people in our lives or just having spiritual conversations, we think to ourselves, how can this be done? My circumstance, my situation, my mindset, my abilities, like they don't cooperate with this work that you're calling me to do, God. But God's willingness is greater than our circumstances. Because what God sees to do with us, the same way that he sought to do with Mary, is he sees to take our circumstance and mold it into a vessel of his will and his work on earth. Taking what to us seems like a seemingly impossible situation. That we would think to ourselves, there is no way that I can be a Christian influence to my kids. There is no way I can be a Christian influence in a local church. There is no way I can be a Christian influence to my unbelieving friend or family member. There's no way. But what God sees fit to do is he sees fit to take what seems to be to us an impossible situation. What seems to be an impossible situation and bring about the work of his will. Because it's in those moments when God takes a rotten sinner like me and uses me and all my faults and failures, but uses me as the main vessel at which my children, me and my wife, as the main vessels at which our kids are, are discipled through. That's a miracle of God. That is God taking the impossible and doing something with it. And God sees fit to do that with each, each and every single one of us in this room that have influence, that have people that we speak to or speak about or in, in, interact with. Because God's best work happens when all seems hopeless. God's best work happens when things don't make sense. God's best work happens when from our perspective, it doesn't match up. 
You know, all throughout the Bible we see this. I mean, Sarah being infertile in Genesis and God gives him a child. Joseph being rescued from abandonment and slavery in Genesis. Israel rescued from slavery in Exodus. Elijah raises a widow's son in 1 Kings. And so what is the, the, the variable? What is the thing in the life of a Christian or a believer, not only with the favor of God, but what else comes with that that allows us to be able to accomplish this ability? I can promise you that it's not something that just comes from within us. That I'm not, Jake's not built strong enough to do the things that I need to do for my family, for my wife, for this church, for my workplace, whatever it might be. That power is not within me. Just like what Advent is all about. It's about being in the prison cell and knowing that the only hope is that the door has to be opened from the other side and that we believe that that power is in God. And so in the midst of my circumstance, how is God's willingness greater than that? It's because of this. In verse 35, the angel gives Mary the solution, tells Mary, this is how this is going to be. Not only, not, not only how will you conceive a child, but how you will raise that child how you will direct and lead and disciple that child. You know, because I, I don't know if we, I heard a question the other day and it's like, you know, did Jesus ever cry as a baby? And, and the response was like, well, surely not. I mean, he's, a, he's God. But listen, you know, and I, I think about this when I was doing a chapel for kids not, uh, this past week, you know, thinking about this idea that when Jesus was born, Jesus was a baby, a vulnerable, needy baby. That when he became a toddler, he needed to be cared for. When he went through the terrible twos, he needed to be cared for. He needed to be taken care of. He needed to be kept out of the street and not trampled by horses or eat dirt and mud and stuff and junk that we... I mean, Jesus was a man, 100% man, but he was also 100% God. And so, you know, there, there's this thing that we have to understand that there was still responsibility for Mary for, for over 30 years to deal with this person, this human being. Now, his divinity was still there. And it would become more evident as he would get older. I mean, we see him even as a child teaching in the temple and the, the, the religious leaders just being in awe of him. But there was a lot of responsibility. And so I'm Mary in her mind and thinking, how am I going to accomplish this? And then the angel tells her this in verse 35. It says, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. So what do we mean? What does the Bible mean when it says the power of the most high will overshadow you? Well, another way that this is translated is the cover is, is kind of this idea is to cover with a cloud. And all throughout the Old Testament, this is a, a very prominent like a kind of visualization that when there was this cloud, it was a manifestation of the presence of God. And what it was meant to be, it was, a, it was meant to be a reminder to the people that God is present. And God used His presence in this way in many different ways. One of the most prominent ways is in Exodus. Whenever they were navigating the wilderness, this cloud, this uh, Shekinah glory, as, as you, maybe you've heard it called, this power was the power that rested with the people of Israel as they were navigating the darkness, trying to see where they were going and navigating, uh, being led during the day. This cloud was the manifestation of the presence of God. It was a visual reminder that God was with them. And not only that God was with them, but God was leading them. And so what he is telling Mary here is he's telling Mary not only a, a, a promise that the things that God has said will come to be, but God is, is revealing to her that, that he has a promise of his presence. 
And this comes with a believer that the presence of God promises the power of God for his people. That when God is present, that he will bring power that will equip the people of God to do the work of God. And so that's what he is telling her. He's telling her, listen, Mary, the way you will do this isn't by your own power, but the, the, uh, the power of the God, your holy God will overshadow you, will cover you, will be present with you. The angel is telling Mary that the way this will be accomplished is through the power of God that promises his presence. Promises his presence. As a Christian today, do, and I don't know if we, if we truly really grasp this from day to day, but that as a Christian, we live in the presence of God. Unique to you as a Christian. You walk with this coverage. You walk overshadowed by the most holy God. And His presence brings power. We have, not within ourselves, but dependent on the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and the work of God in our lives to be those people, to accomplish the work for Mary to accomplish what she would need to accomplish between the conception and the raising and the protecting and the providing for God, for, for Jesus. In the same way, in the responsibilities we have to be faithful to our holy God, no matter our circumstance, no matter who we've been, no matter how we've Thought, no matter what we've done, no matter the path we're currently walking, the Bible tells us that He will come and He will make our crooked path straight. There's no circumstance or excuse for us that can remove us from the work that God has for us because it's not dependent on us. It's dependent on the holy work of God in our life, overshadowing us with His presence, revealing to us His presence to do that work. That's how we disciple our children in a day and age that is, is, is difficult. That is how, you know, and even taking into consideration our own weakness, our own failures, our own mistakes. You know, this is us being able to take ownership, you know, and, and, and be able to step into the things that God has for us. Because of what? Because the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The power of the Most High will be present with you. That is, presence promises power. And then continuing on. He further reinforces this by saying this in verse 37. For nothing will be impossible with God. Other translations would say it like this, and I think this is such an awesome way to say this. It says, no word of God shall be powerless. No word of God shall be powerless. No word for the believer from the word of God. This isn't a promise of health, wealth, and happiness according to the course of this world, but this is a promise of unmatched hope and confidence in the eternal will of God to accomplish His will for our eternal good and equip us with the means to accomplish the tasks before us. There is a confidence that comes with knowing that for Nothing will be impossible with God. Now, this doesn't mean that it, for nothing, it will not be impossible for God to put a Lamborghini in my driveway before I get home. You know, this does not mean that it is that God, through this impossibility, through me holding God hostage, will heal every sick person that I pray for in my life. That doesn't mean that. Because it's not according to my will. It's according to the will of God the power and the promises of God to accomplish the eternal good for His people. Because this work isn't just a work that's only good for Mary. 
This work is a work that we celebrate, that we reap the benefits of today and for eternity. The birth of Jesus, the promise for all people, for all good. And so even that work within us, the work that God does within us, holds eternal value, not just momentary value. And so when we're doing the work of the kingdom of God in our life, that impossibility that we're leaning into, that impossibility that we need work through, it's not just these little circumstantial things, even though I do believe God participates in those things, but it's the eternal work of the salvation of, of the soul that the chief end of man, as our kids have learned in the past, the chief end of man is to know God and to enjoy Him forever. That's what we want for people, to know God and to enjoy Him. It doesn't dictate how circumstances in this life may come and go, but that end never changes. And the impossibility that overcomes is anything that hinders that from happening. Anything that hinders us from knowing God. Anything that hinders us from making God known. Nothing can hinder that. There is no opposition that comes against us as Christians. Whether it's with raising our kids or dealing with our spouses or dealing with the people around us. There is no impossibility when it comes to making God known, we have the ability and the power to make God known in our lives. What we need to do is we need to stop believing that our circumstances are robbing us of the ability to disciple people. That our We cannot, we've got to let go of whatever it is that is robbed for me. Having to, in my personal life, I, I've had to let go of the impossibility of God using me to disciple my kids or to lead my family. Men of God, let it go. There is no impossible. There is nothing that says it is impossible for you to lead your families in Christ. Stop making excuses for it. Families, men and women, in, in, the, in the course of your relationship with your kids, stop believing that it's impossible to disciple your kids towards Christian understanding, towards Christian values, towards Christian morality, towards Christian beliefs. God has equipped you. God is telling us right here, for it will not be impossible for you to make God known in your family. Because no word of God shall be powerless. Jeremiah 32, 17, it says, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and earth, and by your great power and your outstretched arm, nothing is too hard for you. Do we, and, and, and we totally don't worship and live this way on a regular basis. But do we truly grasp that? That the creator of the universe that upholds the very laws of physics that we live by is on our side, that has our good in mind, that has our eternity in His hands and is giving it freely to us. You know, when we read a verse like Romans 8, 28, and it says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Do we believe that? The willingness of God in my situation, in my circumstances, to give that away to me. To give that away. Do we really believe that the creator of heaven and earth, the vast universe that we live in, you look at the intricacies and the, 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 the value of everything around us, that the creator of all those things is on your side. That when we read John 3.16... And we think, for God so loved the world, the collective 
lost, broken, dying world. That he gave his only son. The willingness of God. That he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. The world was already condemned before that. But in order that the world might be saved through him. That whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Church, just like in Mary's situation, in the, situa in the situation of our circumstances, God has done the heavy lifting. God has provided the way. God has provided the power. God has provided the path. For us to do the work that He's called us to do, to be the people He's called us to be, to lead our families, to, to, to disciple the unbelievers around us, to talk with that work person that, at, our, at our job that doesn't believe, to sit and have conversations, patient conversations with people and interact about spiritual things. God's done the heavy lifting. And so the last thing is this. You know, God's will, we talked about God's willingness in all of this. The last thing is this, about our lives, is that our willingness reveals a legacy worth living for. Our willingness reveals the legacy that we believe in. And we reveal if that legacy is worth living for. In verse 38, she says this, Says, and Mary said, Behold, says, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary's willing response to the willingness of God is surrender. She sees the willingness of God to lean down into her little insignificant life. First off, giving favor by choosing her to participate in a work. But then reminding her of the power that comes with the presence of God and her response to the willingness of God is willing surrender. Willing surrender to the will. Willing surrender to what he would have. Willing surrender. And this surrender begins a legacy that will echo through history. And not only echo through history, but echo through eternity. Affecting her story. Affecting her family. Because listen... Against popular belief by some Christian denominations, Jesus was not Mary's only child. I mean, it's likely Mary had up to seven children. Matthew even tells us that, that they did not consummate the marriage, and the Bible says, until she had Jesus. And so Mary would have more children. So can you imagine? We know because James is one of the writers, one of the half-brothers of Jesus, writes a book in the Bible. And, and, and so... Not only did this willingness obviously affect the eternal scope of what God was doing, but it also affected her immediate family. It affected the people who would come after and the people who, who were around them. You know, and this was living not according to her own ways, but according to, the, to your word. I love how she says that, according to your word, especially taking into consideration whenever, God said, whenever the, the angel said before in verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God, or the other way that's translated is that no word of God shall be powerless. And so then Mary's response is that let it be to me according to your word, towards that powerful, sustaining, mighty word. God, let it be according to to that. 
Let that be the thing that leads me. Let that be the thing that defines me. Let that be the thing that reveals to me my responsibility as a parent to this child that you're giving to me that will save humanity. God, let it be according to your power. Let it be according to those things, not me. Not me. You know, then that's the, the constant battle that we do as Christians is fighting against this very humanistic Christianity that elevates humans and what we have to offer and what we have to do. Listen, I don't know about you, but the more I look at myself, the more I'm reminded of how weak and how insignificant and how little I have to contribute in, in scope of what the big, awesome, mighty God of the universe wants to do through me. Not about me, but it's about him and what he can do. You know, when David threw the stone, the power wasn't David's power. The power was the power of God. You know, but a lot of times we read that story and we think to ourselves, well, we're David overcoming the giants in our life and the power is within me. No, it's not. For one thing, we're not David. And another thing, that power wasn't from within him. That power was God. God threw that stone. God conquered the giant. God conquered the beast. And God will conquer the beasts in our life that are keeping us from moving forward. And so what she does is she's acknowledging her dependence was on something outside of herself. This word. And then this word is the same word that in John 1.14, John says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That she's even in an Advent attitude looking forward and saying, let it be according to your word. Let it be according to this word that will be born among us, God with us, Emmanuel. Let it be according to that. Not according to me, but according to what you're doing, according to what you have. And so for us, the evaluation for us that I want us to take part in as we finish up this morning is what do we want our legacy to be? What do we want to be known as our willingness? What are we being willing to do? What are we being willing to replicate? What are we being willing to teach and to be made known and to be valuable and elevating in our Christian lives? What are we willing to make our legacy? Mary's legacy is a legacy of surrender to the will of God. What is our legacy? What do we want our legacy to be? You know, and in, in my line of work, this is a conversation that comes up a lot. But at the end of our lives, what do we want to be known for? I mean, just in reality, it's not meant to be bleak and like sad, but just in reality. When we think to ourselves at the end of our lives and our final days, what do we want to have? What do we want to have accomplished as men and women of God? As people who, if you're here this morning, you call yourself a Christian, what do you want to be made known for? What do you want the people, the legacy behind you? What do, what do we want our kids to remember about us? What do we want the people around us to remember about us, to think about us? What legacy? Do we want to leave? And what Mary has and what I pray that we could step into is an Advent attitude. One with a willingness. You know, one making room. You know, and, and, and making room requires willingness. It requires willingness to be used. It requires willingness to be challenged. It requires willingness to be uncomfortable. Because for Mary, in all of this, and considering her legacy, and considering what she would do, she understood the priority of God's promises and its power in her life. She understood the priority of God's promises. And I think that's where for us, as we establish our legacy, 
You know, not, not, not our individual legacy, but the legacy that God has on our behalf and the legacy of God through us, us being that conduit that continuously communicates the legacy of God and continues that on, is that we would understand the priority of God's promises. Because the truth is this, is when you don't know what your priorities are, everything becomes a priority, right? I mean, in the busyness of our life and all that we do, if we don't know what our priorities are, everything's a priority. Whatever's right in front of us becomes our priority. Uh, if our job, if we're busy at our job, that becomes our priority. If our kids are involved in stuff, that becomes our priority. If, uh, you know, if, if we're having issues with this or that, you know, those things become our priority. Whatever is affecting us becomes our priority. And so when we don't know what our priorities are, everything becomes our priority. And so then we, we lose sight of our destination. And when we don't know what our destination is, everyone will tell us to head to theirs, right? If we don't have a destination, if we don't have a direction we're moving, then everyone around us, and we don't have priorities that are, that are, are kind of fixing that destination, then everyone else is going to tell us, we're going we're to get our priorities, we're going to get our direction from everyone else. You know, it's hard to know you're lost if you don't know where you're trying to get to in the first place. And so for us as Christians, that's where we need to know. Mary understood the priority of God's promises. For us, when we begin to understand and kind of lean into the priorities of God's promises for us, we'll begin to know those priorities and those priorities will begin to motivate our, our movement and then that movement will begin to establish a destination and then it doesn't matter what the circumstance is, it doesn't matter what God's asked me to do, that the destination stays the same and so I can continue moving in that destination and my priorities don't change because my priorities are what God's promises are and so we continue in motion towards this point, towards this place of seeking after Jesus, of seeking after what He has for us and that our that our our priorities begin to determine our progress and that progress is moving towards that destination of understanding Christ more and more every day and leading others to that same end. But we can only find that in Jesus. John 15, 5, Jesus says, And I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, and, 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 and as the worship team starts to come up and, and we kind of wrap this up, I need us to consider a couple things. Now, did we ever, and, and, maybe, and I know you've probably thought about this before, but maybe you haven't, to think about what this was going to cost her. You know, in this day and age, women already had very little rights. And they were already kind of subhuman to most people. And so, for her, she was about to be pregnant as a virgin, and that pregnancy not something that came from her husband. Unmarried at this point also. The potential for her of ridicule, the expectation really of ridicule, the expectation of shame, the expectation of suspicion and, and, and gossiping and all these things that would come. The potential death penalty. I mean, if she was to be convicted of a...